Hey everybody, this is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. And welcome to the Invested Podcast, where we are talking about Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger style, value investing, where you buy stuff worth $10 and you buy it for $5 yeah. and you know it's going to be worth more in the future and you can put a relatively large percentage of your money into a few things with lower risk than sticking all of your money in a mutual fund. That's the idea. That's what we're trying to understand more of. That's what I've been doing for 35 years. Good And that's summary. what I'm teaching Danielle. I've been doing it for two years. Two years. <laughs> and she's doing very well, I might say. I'm enjoying it, guys. <laughs> um, yeah, I had, I had no idea when we started this podcast where we would end up two and a half years later. It's completely insane. But it's really been a great journey in it, my life. It's, it's really like awesome. added a huge amount to my life. I was thinking last night about what it would be like if I didn't have my investing practice and I would feel bereft. I would feel like that's so a real great sense an emptiness of, of something missing. Yeah, it really like add, like I'm, I'm not you know I wouldn't just say this. No, you wouldn't. I really feel like it really adds to my life to have this understanding. I was um honey. Oh, it's so sweet. sweet. Oh, you like oh, yeah, that's really sweet. Aww. It's always nice when, you know, you're a dad and you feel like you could actually add something to your child's life. That's good. You know, we try. We make our mistakes, but we try. (laughs) By the way, the book is is coming out in a week. Um, Invested book. It is about investing. It's also about some of the mistakes I made. Well, it's about a lot of the mistakes I made, too. And, you know, just being people here. (laughs) But what Dad's talking about is it it really goes into our relationship. It does. And I discovered, and I think this is probably true for a lot of us, including you, we all have emotions and fears around money stuff that come from when we were a kid because we all dealt with money when we were children the way our parents handled money the way our family members handled money really affect us and I had never thought about that Mm. until I had to start handling my own money with this investing thing and it just like boom slammed me I mean it was really difficult for me and I put it all in the book. Like She put mega, it all in the book, and I'm reading... Mega crisis. I'm reading, as we're going back and forth between Atlanta and Zurich, um, she'll write, and then I'll edit, and then I'll write, and she'll edit. And all of a sudden, we started seeing a lot of personal stuff coming out as I'm going through the process of teaching her to invest. And it ended up in the book, and it's, I think, made a better book for it. Yeah, well, it happened during the investing practice. And then we wrote it and we, yeah, we went back and forth and we, it made us talk about it even more than we would have otherwise talked about it. I think the writing of it. Yeah. So if you start crying during an investment book for the first time in your life, (laughs) (laughs) welcome to Invested. This is not like any other book about investing. It really isn't. That's for sure. So today, go ahead. We are going to talk about stuff today. Straight up investing today though. Straight up investing. And um, we're starting off, actually, with a real quick question. We've got um, people watching us on Facebook live as we're going. And one of the questions that came popping out here is that today, Facebook got crushed in the market right at the open. Stock's going down like a brick, and people are immediately asking, should I sell Facebook? Yeah, it's because of that news about the uh, supposed sort of data breach, although it wasn't really a breach, right? Um, due to the Trump campaign 
taking analytics from date from Facebook? Wasn't oh, I think they were running that, that Facebook was actually running some sort of undercover well, nasty campaign. Yeah, and, now they're saying Zuckerberg has to testify. Yeah, so. And maybe this is, I don't know where it's all going. But I here's, really haven't gotten into I don't it. Know, it doesn't really matter because the point is not so much what's the actual case here with this one company, although that's certainly what some of you want to know. What yeah. should I do? Why is the point There's not a larger this point. company in particular? Okay, what's the larger point? The larger point? point is that when we build our investing story around a company like a Facebook, let's say, the investing story... Um, encompasses uh, the future of the company. It's looking out 10 years and saying this company is, with a high degree of certainty, going to be more productive in 10 years than it is today. Mm -hmm. That's what we have to say. Mm -hmm. And it needs to be said whether the management team is great this year or makes mistakes last this year or next year. We, We need to know that the company is going to stay more or will be more productive in 10 years than it is today, regardless of the mistakes of management. In a way that the company itself has such a good business model, business plan moat, moat. that it can withstand some idiotic people Doing messing idiotic it up for a things. few years. I mean, no company is going to withstand crazy amounts of idiots. Right. Not that I'm saying Mark is idiotic or anything. No, no, no. no. Just that, it's that, that mistakes get made or, or, change, or problems happen. And as Danielle just said, it's the moat that protects the company. And the moat is so important. And we don't invest in companies that don't have great moats. Because as as Mr. Warren Buffett says many times, that you must invest in a company that's such a good moat that an idiot could run it. Because someday an idiot will run it. <laughs> and you have to know that the company will survive the idiot. Yeah. Right? That's, yeah. that's the catch. It's saying very bluntly... That the answer to your Facebook question is, did you assume that management could make mistakes, that there would be bounces in the in the company? Did you understand that that's part of the process of a business and that that should have been part of your thinking process before you ever put money into a Facebook that you feel confident you can look out 10 years and you can see that through the bumps in the valleys and the mountains, this company is continuing to perform and do well. Wait, and I would argue that that's really hard to say about You just Facebook. said that differently than you've ever said it. Okay, let's you hear it. You just said, you've got to assume that somebody is going to try to screw up this, not try, but somebody's going to screw up this company. I never said that? Not like that. Okay, well, you know All what? Right. Sometimes let's people, say it bluntly. But listen, listen, listen. <laughs> Sometimes people say things and you don't hear it, right? You got to hear it six times before it sinks in. So maybe it's the first time it's sunk in for me. Maybe I didn't say it like that. But the, to hear that you've got to, when, when I'm evaluating a company, that I should assume that something's going to happen coming up, human error. Human error. And how is this company then going to be able to get out from under and that? And how will this be more productive? So let's take a really simple example. If you owned a farm that grew soybeans and corn in Nebraska, yeah. you could pretty easily assume that I could get a farm manager in there that could screw up a season. Yeah. Right? Or even two seasons. Yeah. But that in the long run... Or the weather I, could be horrible. The weather could be horrible. Else. Yeah. In fact, we could assume for sure that's going to happen. Yeah, I would say. That the weather's going to be horrible or there's going to be a bad manager. Oh, sorry. Don't, don't play with my, my fingers. When you slam the desk, it makes the podcast sound weird. Oh, it does? Yeah. Okay, you ready? Sorry, podcast guys. (laughs) Did that sound weird? It probably did. Okay, so here's here's the the test is that understanding that there are going to be bad years. 
Yeah. For bad weather. But see, that's the way you usually say it. There right. will be bad years. But to actually, like, expect it. That, that's different. That there'll be to me, that's somebody different. will screw this up. Yeah. Okay, well, good. Let's to, expect like, make it. a plan for it. Make a plan, and you can't. No, I, I guess, okay, so maybe <laughs> plan is the wrong... So what you, am I trying to say here? I'm trying to say... Well, you can't make a plan that they're going to screw up. So while you're thinking about what you're going to say, what you can do is you can look and say, this company, apart from those bumps and valleys, will end up more productive in the future. My soybean corn farm that I'm buying today is going to be more productive in the future. Number one. Number two part of the plan is, I'm going to buy this super cheap just in case the future is a little bit worse than I thought it was. So I've got to have a big margin of safety. Yeah. In order that the price that I sell it for in 10 years reflects a nice return to me because I bought it so cheaply today. Yeah. All right. I'm still thinking about my plan. Those two things. I'm sticking with plan. Okay, plan. I think to make a nice contingency plan in my mind of how I think a company would get out from some kind of event, some kind of roll on event, mm-hmm. um, would give me, I mean, it probably will not go the way I expect it to. Mm-hmm. But if I have been able to come up with a way that it could do it, mm-hmm. then that means I understand the company and I can, okay, good. I can see that there is a possibility there's probably companies where I would not be able to come up with that plan. Right. Right. And, like, that, and that would be bad. Like, for example, Facebook. I mean, let me give you a scenario, all you Facebook people, yeah. that pretty soon there's another social network that starts to really become the thing everybody's using. And, and it's more on your phone than Facebook is. Like a thing, I'm going to invent one like Will Ferrell. I'm going to call this Instagram. All right. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> Today we're, we're, we're on Instagram. Up, we were setting up Instagram. Dad goes, oh, is that the next big thing? <laughs> I said, Dad, it's been out for like a lot of years. <laughs> like Snapchat. Yeah. I'm going to invent this thing. Is that the next thing. big thing? No. Dude, no, it's, it's been not. out there for two years. <laughs> so five years, whatever. So it's, Did you know it's public, Dad, Snapchat? Yes, I okay. know it okay. went public. Okay. Yeah, I also know I didn't invest in it. Why? Because I have no idea what level of productivity Snapchat's going to be at in 10 years. And, no, and neither do Kylie you guys. No, Jenner can sync your company with a single tweet, it's a little terrifying. Yeah, that would be a little bit scary. And compare that to trying to sync Burlington Northern with a tweet. Yeah. Right? You've got railroad tracks from Long Beach to Chicago, from Wyoming to Atlanta, and nobody can compete with you because you can run freight the cheapest by far. So what are you saying? Are you saying Facebook can't get out of a human error event? I'm saying that it'll probably get out of this human error event because it has such a powerful network switching moat. Yeah. But that network switching moat can go away in a year. Yeah. Um, Instagram might be the next Facebook. There may be some other Facebook coming at us from, from China. Everybody's trying to invent the next best social thing. And when they finally figure it out, it's very possible that Facebook goes away in five or six or seven or eight years. I mean, I say it all the time. Friendster. Hello. Yeah, Friendster. Nobody, nobody uses Friendster. I think it might still exist, but I mean, it's, honestly, not, it's not a viable option. I'm not saying Facebook isn't a powerful company. It is. I'm not saying it doesn't have a powerful moat. It does, right? <clears throat> what I'm saying is that you have to be able to invest in things that you're extremely confident in 10 years down the road. And I really am going to challenge you to, to 
to be able to, to, to justify that you're that confident about something that's coming out of the technology industry, which basically, you know, has to de- destroy itself every iteration to, yeah. to go forward. And, you know, when you see Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger invested in Facebook, then, you know, probably you can jump on board. But I don't think they're there. And I don't think any big investors I know are that I really respect as value investors, I don't think they're in Facebook either. Mm-hmm. For the very reason that we don't look at what it's going to do in the next three months or next nine months like most fund managers do. You know, if you're if that's the game you're playing, which is what most fund managers play, then fine. You know, go for Facebook and run it up and hope you don't go down. But hey, uh, ten years from now, you don't know what it's going to do. You know, we put the network effects subset moat in the book. It's a we subset did. to the switching moat, and I'm still a little iffy. A little on dicey it. if that's really a half a moat. I am. I'm really not certain. I'm that not it's certain it is either. Half a moat. It, but, I mean, I think it's I think it's good to mention because I think you're right that it does it does have a unique characteristic to it yeah. that exists in real life. But I'm not sure it rises to the level of a moat. So yeah. I guess I'm still kind of debating that one a little bit. I guess the the answer to your question the long way around is what question is that? Should I get out of Facebook? Oh. Is you shouldn't be asking. But you don't. You don't really. It's just entertainment for people. For entertainment purposes yes. only. For entertainment purposes only, the first thing you'd have to do is create a story around Facebook. Assuming you bought into it and assuming you understand rule one investing, you created a story. Mm -hmm. And the story says, here's how I understand the business, the meaning of the business. It matches my values. It has a big moat. I love the management team. And this is what it's worth. Now, I strongly challenge you to try to figure out what the heck Facebook is worth. I don't know how you would know that. I really have no clue. But maybe you, you can tried? figure it out. Yeah, I don't know what it's going to be doing mm, in the 10 I haven't years. Tried. The the value of a business is only what kind of cash flow I'm going to get over the next 10 years, you know, discounted back to today. That's the value of a business. So when we look at a company like a Facebook, we look at it in terms of owner earnings. We say, okay, what kind of cash can I put in my pocket if I own it all? Um, pre-tax. And then multiply by 10. And what you're going to find is Facebook's multiply by 80. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, you're, if you think you're getting a deal, uh, man, I, I, good luck justifying that. So let's take an example here that we talked about last Yeah. Podcast. So we promised to talk about, um, sorry, my foot went to sleep uh, and I'm like in pins and needles. Um, we promised to talk about Blue Apron, right. which is another, like, I'm glad we actually started with Facebook because it's along those same lines of... I'm not quite sure what to do with this. I realized as I was going through it, I have never evaluated a company that's brand new like this. I've looked at that, like I've never looked at the numbers. I've looked at them in terms of like what they're up to and stuff, but I I always abandoned them before I get to the numbers because for me, that's the last thing I do because I hate it. (laughs) So, (laughs) so, um, So I had never done that. And I got to this Blue Apron 10K. There's only one. And it just came out. So they've got their 2017 10K out there. Mm-hmm. And um, and it actually has some data from previous years because they had to do that as part of their IPO. Mm-hmm. So it's not only one year of data, but only one 10K. And it's all negative numbers. Like, it's insane. It's all negative numbers. And I had never done that before. So I'm glad we're going to talk about it because I didn't really know what to do besides look at it and say, well, this isn't going to work. <laughs> Right. Right. I mean, that's a really important thing to find out really, really, really quickly is that you're unable by virtue of the past history 
to have any sort of degree of predictability for the future. And if you have no degree of predictability for the future based on the old numbers, other than, oh, well, the old numbers are all negative, so let's hope for the future. Yeah. Um, but I think then that, how do you figure out the value? But I think that's exactly what people do. The old well, numbers are all negative. So let's what's, hope for the future. What's the hope for the future? Yep. And right now, the hope for the future is so strong that even after a 10% drop in their stock price yesterday, uh, they're selling for $400 million. So this is a company that no, people think... No, their think, stock went up yesterday, didn't it? Down 10%. Oh. Let me just, just double check right. here. Hold on. All right, let me get that. All Sorry, right, well, you talk. You I, talk. Hate it. I hate it when we're doing stuff on the internet during the podcast because it's super boring. You talk. Um, all right, so I'm going to tell you about Brewery Friend because probably a lot of you also, like me, kind of know about it but didn't know the total details. So what I do... A lot of people ask about my investing process, my investing practice. So here's what I do because I'm a nerd. I have a template of the story that I keep on a note-taking app. And then when I start with a new company, I just copy and paste my template over into a new, um, a new note. And then I just fill in the blanks. So that way I don't have to go back and try to remember like, oh, did I get everything? It's not a mess. I put the date that I do the analysis so that then when I go back and I just this morning was looking back and I saw stuff from a year ago and I thought, oh, I wonder like how that's doing, you know, and then I can go and do new research and see if the stuff I wrote down was accurate, if it, um, if my predictions came true or if I was totally off, like that's all just really good data to have as an investor. And that's for me anyway, that's how it works well. So Blue Apron is a meal kit company and what they do is they mail you ingredients and recipes and then you cook your own food from what they send you. They will also send wine, which is based on reading their 10K, they see as a huge differentiator in the market, which I'm laughing about because I think it's kind of weird and like not that exciting to me, but whatever, they're excited about their wine. Um, so I also, have, their stock symbol is APRN. I also have a little line in my template for the industry, just because like it's good to know what field they're playing in. And I thought, what is Blue Apron's industry? My first thought was grocery stores, but that didn't seem quite right. Because mm. they're in a way they're selling groceries, but like not really. And then I thought restaurants, but that didn't seem quite right. So then I just Googled Blue Apron industry. Do you know what it is? No. Don't look at my shoes. Okay, no, no, what is it? So what's it? your guess? Oh, I think it's kind of grocery stores. I, I would, that's what I would lean towards. Yeah. It's, it's not right. I mean, it's like but taking it's money like, out of the grocery stores and putting... Yeah, exactly. But it's not right. Well, yeah. and their new thing is that they want to sell through grocery stores instead of direct-to-consumer, which is like their, their new big differentiator. Uh-huh. No, what they are are food and drug stores. Uh-huh. <laughs> So they which, compete with Walmart. That's according to Bloomberg. <laughs> they I compete thought, with Walgreens. I thought it was so funny. I took a screenshot of it and put oh, it in my geez. notes. So clearly nobody um, else knows where to put these guys either. Yeah, exactly. But that's I think that's also a challenge with new um, industries. Like, you know, what did Facebook go in when it came out? Like, what does Snap Inc. go in? You know, there's sort of these weird... Um, the, the old world is not keeping up with the new world in a way, so they don't have a good categorization. So Bloomberg describes it as an e-commerce business that delivers fresh ingredients and recipes to make meals for homes. And 
I have a little line on my template that says, what got me interested? Because I want to know how I came to this thing. And what got me interested with them is most people I know are trying these meal kits. Right. You use Sunbasket like well, we crazy. Jump, we use Sunbasket like crazy, because we start, but we started with Blue Apron. They've got the big marketing push out there. Oh, you know what? I remember that. I remember you even got some of the wine. Yeah. Like, we oh, thought, oh, this is really delivered. cool. They got the yeah. bottle, a little small bottle of wine that yeah. they do, and they send it if you want to match up. and. And um, we liked their meals and everything, but then they they didn't put meals together the way we wanted them to. What does that mean? That means we really kind of wanted to focus on paleo for a while, and oh, that wasn't like quite working. Oh, like your dietary restrictions yeah. were not being and adequately sun, met. Yeah, and Sun, what is it? Sun, sun basket. basket did it better. Yeah. And then we shifted over to, we discovered we really like the vegetarian meals the best, and we haven't been back to look at Blue Apron's vegetarian meals. Oh. But here's the thing. We could jump back to look at Blue Apron's vegetarian meals like this. Yeah. In other words, what's keeping me locked in? Well, let me tell you what should be keeping mm, you. Mm. Let me just scroll down to my moat section here. Okay, moat section All right, up. here's what it is. They think that you are getting the benefit of their algorithm to predict what kind of food you want to have. So that hopefully then you don't have to put in any more information. It's just like last week we talked we talked about Stitch Fix and how you felt really taken care of by their algorithm or person, however it works. Because and they had somebody immediately with me. They had, you know, a question and answer thing that a dialogue started. I could see right away that they were trying to find what was right for me. I don't remember anything about Blue Apron doing anything like that. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. If they have if they have an algorithm, they're I mean maybe they were predicting what I want and they just yeah. but they never really spent a lot of time asking me that I know of. Maybe they've changed something since we used them. It's been maybe a couple of years. Have. Well, and they're also saying that they want to provide more products for different dietary lifestyles because that's obviously like mm -hmm. that's what everybody talks about now. It's like oh, what are you eating? What are you not eating? Da, 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 da. So if you're having a meal kit delivered, it's got to match what you're eating, or it's just. You're done with it. And I'll tell you, it feels like they've got about the same moat as a grocery store, to tell you the truth. And that is about not much. Because if they, you know, if I go down to Kroger's and they don't have the kind of beef I want, you know, it's not a big deal for me to go, well, you really have the milk and eggs I like, but yeah. you don't have the beef. So I'm going down to some. That's not a hard decision to make, right? No. I mean, I don't mind but that Blue at all. Blue Apron thinks clearly from all their messaging on their website, from all their messaging on their 10K, they are going for a brand moat. It is the number one thing they talk about on every section. How we're going to promote our brand, how we're going to solidify our brand with our customers, how we're going to develop our brand by buying other brands and integrating them. They are all about their brand. Okay. So that's probably the only moat they can get. It probably is. And I I think the idea of meal kits is fantastic. That's mm -hmm. why there's so many companies in the space. Mm -hmm. And it, they're not going to go away. So somebody's going to win this. Somebody's going to do really well at this. Sure. And the question is, how would you pick who that is? Well, the first thing I would say is... Um, while it's it's notably accurate for the company to decide we we're going to build a moat of a certain type, uh -huh. if you're building a company, by the way, on your own, if you're if you're an entrepreneur, th listen very carefully to what we're talking about as investors here, because you you should be building a company that an investor would be excited about investing in, right? That would make sense if you ever planning on having a wonderful business, yeah. then build a wonderful business, yeah. and a wonderful business has a big moat. 
and a moat means you know a brand, a secret uh, with patents, a switching moat uh, that you know it's really hard for me to leave your company because I you're so locked into what I'm doing. Price, um, low price. Low price is a great moat, but it's not low price. It's low cost of, of production or low cost of product that allows you to get oh. the low price. Oh, okay. Right? That's different. So you got to make sure the low producer, that's harder to be than just low price. Anybody, could, any idiot could be low price and then you go broke. So, well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then um, a toll bridge moat, which is like Pacific Gas and Electric in California or Southern Company in Georgia, you've got a monopoly on, on what you do or a river touring company in the Grand Canyon where there's only 12 of them, right? Mm-hmm. So um, there's a very limited number of moats. And the question is, which one can a Blue Apron get? And they're right. They're not going to have any secrets. Right. They're not going to be super low cost. Right. They're not going to have a toll bridge. Right. There's no way. Um, you can switch easily. Even, I think even you can if they switch. get the algorithm right, I think you can still switch easily. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking too. It's not, I mean, think about how hard it is to switch off of Apple to Android or Microsoft, yeah. where all of my software on my phone, everything all runs iPhone stuff. Yeah. And the, all the computers are synced, everything's like the watch is synced. I, I don't want to go through the pain of thinking about switching. Even if they're not the best, even if they're not the fastest, whatever, I don't care as long as they're staying in the ballpark. That's a switching mode that Blue Apron doesn't have. I mean, it is not hard at all to just go to the website, click another company, and bam, some baskets got something on the way. Yeah. And we'll test them out parallel because it's inexpensive. We can try it out and see what we like the best. And there's a lot of companies in this space. HelloFresh. So Hello... Blue Apron has 40% of the market. Mm-hmm. HelloFresh is a considerable competitor right after them. And then there's Home Chef, Sun Basket we mentioned, Plated, Green Chef, Purple Carrot, Gobble, and Marley Spoon. Hmm. Um, right. But yeah. I read an article this morning about how Blue Apron has a really hard time holding on to customers. So they actually are doing a not great job with their branding moat. Yeah, whereas Gobble and Sun Basket retain a much higher percentage, they each retain 20, 22 and 20% of their customers. So Blue Apron offers these like initial discounts in order to get going and then mm-hmm. people drop off. And then I think Blue Apron is actually helping build the market, right? I mean, they, the reason true. we got on Blue Apron to start with is because they're the only one we ever heard about. Yeah. And we went to their website and just ordered. So they introduced us to this idea. And this is an indication of what a weak moat they have is that it is very easy for us to test other companies and try other stuff. Oh, that's an interesting point to be able to even test other options, right? like how difficult, how easy that is. Right. That's interesting. So if they're going to win this game, they're going to have to do it like Coca-Cola did it, which is just to have the best tasting thing there is, right? It's just... And, and just no, be everywhere. And be everywhere, all over yeah. the place, extremely expensive. And I think we're back into the problem Warren Buffett talked about when he was talking about Amazon after Bill Gates introduced him to Jeff Bezos in the 1990s. Okay. Okay, so here's this guy with entree to the inside CEO of one of the greatest companies that's ever been built. And there's a really smart guy. Warren Buffett, obviously, is very brilliant. And he meets Bezos, loves Bezos. So now you've got that connection that Warren's looking for with a CEO. And he said, but there was no way that I could know that this company out of the 10 or 15 companies that were trying to do this back there 30, 25 years ago, was gonna be the one that was successful. I'm just, this is what Warren said, 
I'm just not that smart. I don't know if anybody could have predicted <laughs> what Amazon was going to become. And which, which, which person is going to predict which airline would succeed back in 1930? Yeah. Which person is going to predict which car company would succeed back in 1915? Yeah. You know, you have all these... And we're at the beginning of this industry... And you have Blue Apron's got the lead and they're out there pounding it and they went public to get more capital. But look at now we want to look at the numbers because the numbers tell a story. All right. Okay, we're going to go straight to numbers. I'm going to the numbers. Now that I've looked at this and went, okay, brand mode, they're talking about brand, 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 brand. Okay. Really? Okay. So we're going to come back to understanding mission and management then. All right. Well, good. Let's do understanding mission management. Okay, quick. I'll be really quick. All right. Understanding. I get the basic business, but I don't understand how they supply and how they do their uh, their whole like shipping and preparation and all that stuff. That would take me a while to get into. Good. So I think I'm capable of getting it. So I'm, I'm going to give it a check mark in that column, but I don't get it right now. Okay, good. I know it's complicated. And the reason I know that is that they had their one of their co-founders step down last year from being the head of the company after he spearheaded this whole building of some sort of custom warehouse for their meal kits to be put together, mm. and it didn't work. And they had to actually scrap the whole project, and he stepped down. Wow. So he is still chairman of the board. He still has a controlling interest in the company. He still has 30% of the voting shares of the company. That's another thing. It has a double class structure, triple actually, but effectively double class structure so that the founders control the voting of the company. Yeah. So what that means is essentially this company has structured itself so that the owners of the business who own the majority of the business cannot in any way control the business. Think about that. They've set it up so that a minority interest in the business is going to control it, do everything. You can't fire them. You can't change the board. You just are along for the ride. And, yeah. You know. Well, we've had discussions about that. Right. There are pros and cons. There's some really good stuff that comes out of that, which is that the founders are still deeply invested in that company. Right. And still very involved, as opposed to great. being only people they've hired separately. So the new, the new head of the company is a guy they hired who was the former CFO of Under Arbor. So he knows how to do retail companies. Yeah. Wait a second. I'm laughing because Under Armour has just fallen off a cliff and well, is having terrible he, difficulties. It's because he left. Either that or he left because he knew he'd screwed it up and it's here it comes. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know either. Um, so that's what's up with the management. I'm not sure. <laughs> my, my general, again, this is quick and dirty, but my general thing is kind of like, I'm not so sure that this is the best. Mission, I have a real problem with this. So they're a food company. I love food companies. I love organic food. I love trying to change the world for the better and get us healthier. They have every opportunity to do that here. And I don't see it. I mean, like I said, the first line of every single section of their website and their annual report is all about their brand. It's not about changing the world with fantastic food. I mean, you can find a little paragraph where they talk about how they don't use GMOs in their food. They don't, um, they buy animals meat that doesn't have antibiotics in it. So that's all good. Like I support that stuff. I'm glad it doesn't, it's not the opposite, but, um, but I'm not seeing like a real mission driven company here. I'm seeing a company that's about straight up, we want to like sell you our stuff. Whereas Sunbasket went fully onto that. 
Really? Yeah, they just went, okay, we're going we're going organic, we're going mm. the whole deal. So it's probably a little more expensive, but you're willing to pay it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that's something we wanted. So So yeah, so the mission thing, I don't get it doesn't have a check mark for me. All right, now you can go to the numbers. All right, so this is a very quick, rough and dirty, uh, this is what we do. We just do a real quick sketch of the company to try to understand if the, if we're capable of understanding the business and roughly where they're at. This is only taking a few minutes. And now we're going to take a quick look at the numbers. And that means we're not looking at the price. We don't care about the price. What we're looking at, at least yet, what we're looking at, I mean, why would we care about the price if we're not buying it, right? So we don't own it. We're not buying it yet. Let's look at the numbers. So the first number that I'm looking at is the return on equity on this company. I want to know that's the most important number to me. How are they doing with my capital? Are they making money with my money? Right I also looked at that one. You did that really good. I did all my stuff really good. All right. What happened with that one? Return well, on equity. How's it doing? negative 464%. Well, okay. So, <laughs> so return on equity is horrible. Yeah. Return on equity means that the equity of the company is divided into the earnings of the business. And if you don't have any earnings, your return on equity is going to be horrible. Wait, say that one more time. It's the what? Into it's the, the what? equity of the business uh -huh. divided into the earnings. Okay. And that, and if the earnings are negative, then of course you're going to have a negative return on equity. Yeah. Which means my money is being burned up. It, in other words, my money is not receiving a return at all. It's actually like, going negative. Like negative. Yeah, yeah, I'm losing my money. <laughs> so that's <clears throat> that's like okay. Well, there's run that red flag up the flagpole. That's a yeah, big one. Yeah. Okay. So ROE, and then we look at debt immediately mm. at debt. And we see how much debt do they have. Now, to do that, you've got to know something about the financial statements, right? You've got to know that there's three financial statements, a balance sheet, an income statement, and a cash flow. Now, we're going to go look at that balance sheet real quick here and see what kind of debt are these guys carrying. And I'm going to just scroll down to the thing that says long-term debt. And the long-term debt on this company was zero four years ago, and it was zero three it's years ago. It's probably just not reported. Uh, they have to put it in there. I mean, here's the reported numbers. Right. Okay, four years ago, it's not reported. 2015 was reported, uh, zero debt long-term. Then 2016, Guys, they we're added... we're not standing behind the <clears throat> No, I'm like... not standing. 2016 reported $94 million of debt, so they started adding debt right there. And then 2017, they reported $195,000 or million dollars of debt. So they added $100 million more debt. Which makes sense for a startup, honestly. That's completely normal for a startup. Completely normal, which is why startups are scary. Yeah. Because and debt kills. Risky, yeah. Yeah, debt kills. Just remember that of all the things you want to look at, the first thing you got to get to right away is what's the... What's, what, what's the financial structure of this business, right? And if they've got a ton of debt sitting on there, then they can go bankrupt and eliminate you as an investor with no sweat at all, without changing one person in management, without changing anything about the nature of the company, without firing one single employee. They simply go bankrupt and they fire you as the owner and replace you with some hedge fund guys who just took advantage of you. So debt kills, we don't like that at all. $195 million of debt, that's very scary. All right. When you're not making any money, that's very scary. So how do you pay your debt? How do you pay your interest rate? If you weren't, at, imagine this, you're working for a living and you stack up a pile of debt on your house 
and then you get fired and you're not making any money. But do you still owe the money on your house? Yeah. Yeah. Do you still have to make a monthly payment? Yeah. yeah. What happens if you don't make the monthly payment? You go to jail eventually. They foreclose on you. <laughs> All right, fine. You don't go to jail. The anymore. lender forecloses on you. And that same thing happens with companies. The lender gets tired of waiting for their money. They have a right to force you to pay them. They are almost always secured by everything you own, your house, or in the case of a business, the whole operating business is securing the loan. And guess what? They foreclose on you. And foreclosure means Chapter 11 bankruptcy. That and that, so you got to come up with the money to pay them from someplace. Where do you come up with it from? If you're making negative I'm earnings, I'm not following. Okay, okay, now we're on houses. No, no, no. Okay. okay, well, okay, we keep using the house. You now are fired, and you don't have any income. Yeah. You have to pay your two thousand dollar a month mortgage. Yeah. All right. Where's the money got to come from? It comes from nowhere. You don't have it. Well, maybe you have it. Look in your bank account. Do you have any money in your bank account? Let's say you sure, do. Yeah. Let's say you have fifty thousand in your bank okay, account. So I got to pay it with that. That's where it's coming from. All right. So that use that's in a business is called the equity. Oh, I get where you're going with this. So you are starting to take equity from the owners. It happened mm -hmm. with your house. It's mm -hmm. you. You're taking that two thousand dollars a month out of your bank account, and you're paying your bank. Now, that's okay for a while. In fact, in your case, that's okay for 24 months. <laughs> and at the end of 24 months, you're just about bankrupt on that mortgage, and then you're going to lose your house. Mm -hmm. Okay? So now you're starting to see how to think about a business that's in trouble a little bit. You're starting to look in, all right, they call this the runway. How much runway do they have before they have to take off? Yeah. And in the case of you with your house and your $2,000 mortgage, you got two years of runway. Before you have to be lifted off, you have to have a new job or you're toast. You're going to lose your house. So what you're trying to say, I think, is how long does Blue Apron I'm not, have? I'm not trying to say it. Oh, okay. I'm saying it. Okay, you're saying. Okay, what am I saying? <laughs> you're saying. <laughs> I'm just catching up. All right. You're saying how long does Blue Apron have? How long can they go based on the money that they're getting and the money that they've borrowed before they're done? <laughs> Exactly. They gotta lay everybody off and sell off the pieces. Now, here, let me take you one more step. Once I see that I have to make that uh, that analysis, <laughs> I'm know, done. I know. <laughs> I'm done. I'm done. Time out. Yeah. Throw it in the box. Time it's, is valuable, and yeah, there's you don't want to throw. Don't even want to bother. Good time after bad time. Right. So right away we're done. This this company is terrible ROE, a huge pile of debt. And I'm done. So I'm, yeah. I'm done. Well, and I was going to go through owner earnings with everybody today. And then I did it. And they were all negative, And I just I don't even know how to like, I, I came, I said to you, like, I don't know what to do with this. It's just all like, I would have stopped if it wasn't that I had promised this, yeah. I would have stopped after even like the first glance at net income because it's negative. Right. So if you're out there trying to make that, a, is that the right That's the right thing. You're go? done. Okay. So for let's just run it though. You've got negative $210 million of net income. Add negative. back in negative. negative 210. So add back in you know 30 million of depreciation and now you're only negative 180. Add back in um, your taxes. Well, you didn't pay any. They didn't pay any. Right? 
add back in uh, receivables. Oh, it went negative. So that's, but not by much. And payables went negative by five million. Yep. So add that back in. It takes you to two eighty five. And then uh, maintenance capital. Sorry, one eighty five. Maintenance capital expenditures. I spent a little bit of time on trying to figure out what how much that was, was maintenance. Yeah, and I ended up just going with the full purchase of property and equipment, which which does include investment and growth, but. My reasoning is that this company doesn't really have anything. All, all they're doing is investing in growth. All they're doing so is investing in growth. I decided that was an appropriate number to put in there. But when we when we look at a company that's struggling to figure out its its uh, its its process of of sending you the food, and they don't have it right, and they fired one of the the founders because he got it wrong. I think we better use the entire capex, and so that's 124 million. We were at 185 million negative. We just added another. We saw 115 would be 300 million. Three, we're at 315 negative owner earnings. Three. Let me let me explain. Three. Wait, I got negative 102. No, 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 yeah, no, no. Yeah, we yeah, got. Yeah, yeah. Hold on. Here we go. Yeah, yeah. Negative 210. Oh yeah, I got it all right. All right, negative 210. Mm -hmm. um, plus 28. All right, so now we're at, let's call it 30. Now we're at negative 180. Yep. Negative uh, 5 for payables. We're at now at 185 negative. Now, negative 185 plus negative 124, last time I checked, is going to put us at about negative 300 something. Okay, well, then so you my did your Excel, math right. I hate Excel. This is why I should always do oh, it manually. Yeah, yeah. So I always screw it up. So negative 300 million. Anyway, mine was negative. All right, let me put that in perspective, sports fans of Blue Apron. That means that $300 million came out of the bank last year. Out. N net. <laughs> of the money that came in. In other words, they burnt through $300 million of borrowed money and investor capital. That's really scary. So if you want to invest in an early stage company, um, I, I, you, you just are, I got to say, you're nuts. To, to, I mean, this is my opinion only. This I mean, is it's, not, it's tough. this is the education. Reason, the reason it's interesting to talk about at all is that it is still a little bit tough because some, like I said, somebody's gonna win. And we want to make that choice now. Like that would be great to make that choice now, right? When it's right. at $2, like that would be really nice. Right. But it's just so hard to know. So let's, let's, let's sit in my head for a second, honey. Just like, okay, I've got negative 300 million in, in, in owner earnings and it's accelerating it's getting bored it's getting worse year by year it was uh -huh. less than that the year before yeah. how how am i going to know what value to put on this business so i'll know what to pay so i'll know that the stock price which has gone from ten dollars to two dollars and where some people who believe in modern portfolio theory that the price is always the value they would argue that well you know um the value has gone down from ten to two well, how do you know what the value is at two? How do I know that two's the value? If I've got negative 300 million in owner earnings, I don't know when that's gonna go positive. How in the world do I figure out? That's just a bar that's way too high for me to jump over it, so I'm not gonna to try to jump it. Life's too short, what? time to go play golf or ride a horse or shoot shoot, shoot a or gun. Or look at something else. Go do something else, you look at something done else. Done and done. Done and done. All right. So that's Blue Apron. That's Blue Apron. And that should give you guys an idea of how dangerous it is to put money in an IPO kind of company. 
that doesn't have a very long track record. It can go through big bumps and it will. How do you know that you're going to have something more productive the way you would know that about a farm or the way you'd know it about a house that you're going to buy and rent? That's the critical thing. You've got to make investments in stocks as the, exactly the same way you do it making an investment in a townhome down the street that you're very confident in for your retirement. Yeah, totally. Got to do it that way. All right. So, well done. Thank you. Um, me too. I'm well done. Thank you. Yeah, Thank well you. done. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I'm always proud of myself when I do any sort of company evaluation. Yeah, you did that very well. You, you got that one into the too hard box right away, and that's very important. Yeah. Yeah, I need to look at my Excel situation, but we'll work on that later. Um, so next week, Dad, we are going to be in New York City. We're going to be launching our book. I know. This time next week, literally next Tuesday, which is nuts. And um, and we, you guys, podcast listeners, we're moving our podcast next week because of that. So what we're going to be doing is putting out our podcast not on Tuesday. It will be out on Wednesday, March 28th. And we're going to do, again, a live podcast on Facebook again um, from the HarperCollins studios, which we're so excited about. We love those guys. Yeah, it's going to be great. And um, and so just for all of you who listen on iTunes and Stitcher and, uh, you know, investedpodcast.com, it will not be up on Tuesday. It will be up on Wednesday. And we're going to tell you about all the stuff going on with the book. It's going to be really exciting. And um, check out Danielle Town on Instagram and on Facebook and Roll One Investing on Facebook so that you can see all the stuff we're up to for the next week, two weeks. It's going to be like, it's going to be a lot of stuff. Now, before we rock out, I just got to read some of these things. These are so good coming in on Facebook. This is hilarious. So let's close our podcast. Okay. All right. We'll close the podcast. Well, I think the podcast people should hear some of this. All right. Go ahead. All right. Real quick. This is classic. Um, let's see. Uh, it's so classic. He doesn't even. So my know kids what are right. This say. is from Wendell Hill. So my kids are right. They said, "Dad, Facebook is for old people. Kids use Instagram today." And then one of you guys goes, "Hey, Facebook owns in Instagram, dummy." That's, that's true. Which is true. <laughs> that okay. So now, <laughs> when you were is, talking about their moat, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. That they their moat. They're is buying, buying their moat. Yeah. yeah, they're just buying all their competition, which could actually result in something you could invest in. Um, so, okay, here, this is really, really good. The, um, this guy is saying that he sent me a picture of him and me at the farm. At the what? At the farm. At the farm. Here at the horse farm. And I'm going to sign it and send it back to you, man, for sure. I saw it. It's on the pile. So we'll get that back to you pretty soon. That's Matt Robertson. Um, let me see what else we got. Uh, love this weekend. Oh, Joe, thank you so much. We had a, we had a number of Facebook Live people here who were out at the weekend yeah. that we just finished. We had 300 people there. It was amazing. So let's close up the podcast. Okay, we're done. And then say goodbye to everybody on Facebook once we're done. All right. Sound very good? good. Yes. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. And we will be back next week with all sorts of book news about investing. All right. We're out. Time to go play. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening to Invested. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Head over to investedpodcast.com for our show notes and a special offer on how the podcast listeners can attend my three-day transformational investing workshop for free, where we just teach the heck out of you for three straight days. We don't sell anything, and we get you a scholarship to come to it for free. So come on over there and take a look at that. And by the way, 
as our lawyers want me to say. Everything discussed on this podcast is either my opinion or Danielle's opinion, my opinion's right, and is not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your investment advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. So this podcast is just for your entertainment and education only, and I hope you enjoyed it. So until next time, time to go play.